We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. All right, welcome back to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. Uh, this is Richie, and we're live on Twitter Spaces here this Sunday morning. And I am joined by Spencer and Brian. And as we get into this, I wanted you guys to um, remind you guys about the latest episode that we had. We had the opportunity to interview Eddie Robinson. Uh, he shared some pretty cool stories. And I even had to cut out some of the questions because he gave such detail with some of those answers. So you never really know when you invite someone on like that, how detailed they're going to be. Uh, but he was an awesome interview. Spencer, I saw on your Instagram you went fishing recently. Where was that at? Yeah, that was down um, like in between Kiowa Island and Folly Beach. Uh, was down there with my wife's family last week. It was awesome. Uh, went out in the morning, little half day, no, no kid. <laughs> so I was able to really focus on the fishing. Got some sea trout, some sheep's head. Uh, we were going for redfish, like big redfish. We got two medium size, but, but no big boys and saw some, some bonnet head shark. We're trying to get some of those, but weren't able to pull some up, but it's, I love that area, man. The low country of South Carolina is, you know, I mean, all the Carolinas, you know, there's plenty of, you know, great beaches, coastal areas, but I think like greater Charleston area, low country, South Carolina is, is my favorite. So it was a good trip. Yeah, I'm not a big fisher. Is there skill to it, or am I am I just like crazy and thinking that it's just like mostly luck? So, like, I think if you go offshore, <clears throat> it's more. Um, I would say there's less skill to it. It's like when you hook the fish, just it's like endurance. Like you're gonna have to fight that fish for a while. We were, you know, fishing in the river, so there is more skill to that. You know, you're you're casting like in between oyster beds, and as soon as that bait hits, that fish will grab it and go. So it's like how you set the hook, um, you know, how you keep tension in your line, you know, with the, with the, the current in the river, there's definitely more skill to that. Um, but th- I've probably lost everybody. So I digress. Uh, but you <laughs> asked me a question. I, I'm really interested. I love fishing. I'm interested in this stuff. So I could do a whole episode on it, Richie. No, I've, I've never been a big fisher. Brian, what about you? Well, first off, I, I am not a big fisher though. It did become like, a 
a pandemic activity with some buddies because it was like a way the first year of the pandemic to actually like be outside and still do something. Mm-hmm. And uh was just, yeah, it was like an excuse to get outside and like drink beers and yeah, I don't know, <laughs> talk shit with one another. So, but I'm terrible. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, man. Um It's been a, it's been a nice, you know, off season. Good to kind of relax a little bit. It's that time of the year where I'm, I, I get back into baseball and get back into the Premier League as well as that started up. Richie, your Arsenal Gunners yeah. are looking pretty, looking pretty good to start here these days. And um, and I've got a couple trips planned um, for September where I'll be, where I'll be uh, headed back out west uh, to Colorado a couple of times, which is uh, um, a place that I'm quite fond of, sort of similar to Spencer with the, uh, the low country of uh, SC. So headed out to Colorado twice in September, and I'm really looking forward to that. All right, so here's the rundown of what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to take a look at the Hornets' schedule, go through a thought exercise as well, where we, we're going to like protect players in a hypothetical expansion draft, if that were to ever come true. And then with this being Twitter spaces, we can treat this as an open mic for anyone that is wanting to speak or has a question as well. So the NBA schedule was released a few days ago, uh, and here we are to overanalyze the 82 games. I really never understood the fascination with you know, people obsessing over the schedule because you know you're getting four games against your divisional opponents. You're getting two or three games against, or no, three or four games against those other Eastern Conference teams, and then you get two games of those uh, teams out West. But here we go. Quick notes for the Hornets. They opened the season on the road in San Antonio on Wednesday, October 19th. And then the home opener is two days later at home against the Pelicans. They do have three televised games, either by ESPN or TNT. I think uh, two games against Chicago and one game against Boston, if I'm not mistaken. Their longest home stretch is in the middle of March with five straight games. And their longest stretch of road games is in late December with six games. And that's that West Coast swing that they typically do. Um, yeah. So last note, too, uh, before I kind of give my takeaways on this, this schedule, Hornets have 12 back-to-backs, which is, I think, tied for the lowest, which is somewhat unheard of. I feel like the Hornets typically are up in the upper tier of back-to-backs. Here are my takeaways. I I like them doing a West Coast trip earlier than like the New Year's. I think they even got it over earlier last year than they did this year. But just having it in December versus March or April, where the fatigue and the injuries start to pile up, uh, where that could put them at a bigger disadvantage. I I do like them getting that West Coast swing in mid-December over. And then I guess one last quick takeaway before I pass it over to Spencer on paper, I mean, I guess this is really what it is at this point. The schedule on paper gets more difficult as the season progresses. So I always think about the trade deadline approach when it comes to the schedule. That's really the only thing that I kind of focus on um, a little bit more than something else. I think Clifford's propensity to win and compete and then like Cupcheck's message about trying to be more competitive and obviously firing Borrego kind of signals that this organization is getting a little bit impatient in terms of how they want to approach this season. So I guess what I'm getting at is if the the team is in the hunt, so to speak, earlier on because their games are easier, would that change their approach where they wouldn't 
you know, be a seller at the deadline. I, I would hope that, you know, necessarily wouldn't be the case. And I'm not saying that they are going to be in the hunt, but because their schedule picks up after the all-star break, who knows, maybe that, maybe that can kind of change the way that they approach the trade deadline. So Spencer, any, any thoughts on this, uh, the schedule? Yeah. I mean, you laid it out pretty good there. Um, <clears throat> you know, in terms of national TV games, I think pretty similar to what we're used to, right? It's nice to see that we have like, two ESPN games that are, well, one's early season. The other, yeah. I guess, is around the all-star break. Usually you see this team with like that flex, you know, late, late season, April ESPN game um, where they could flex us out if they need to. But like, okay, here's here's your token national TV game, Charlotte. Um, so nice to see a few on ESPN a little earlier in the year. We got a TNT game in January with, uh, with Chicago. And then, you know, you're – your bevy of uh, NBA TV appearances. Um, I, I like to look at schedules like bookend them, um, you know, kind of picking up where you left off. You know, it does get tougher after the all-star break, Richie, but if, if I'm eyeing this right, it looks like 10 of the last 14 are at home for Charlotte mm-hmm. um, on the schedule, which I like, you know, I, w- I would imagine with 14 games to go that they'll at least be in the play and hunt. So, you know, that, that gives them a chance to make up some ground. Towards the end, four of the first five <clears throat> for Charlotte are on the road. So that should be interesting to see how this team gets out of the gates. Yeah, and then you talked about the West Coast trip. You know, it's it's in December. It's not it's not late in the season or super early in the season, which I think can, can have an effect on teams. I actually think like if you're a if you're an East Coast team or a West Coast team and you're you know, your opposite coast trip is early in the year, um, it presents a big opportunity, but it can also put you way behind the eight ball. So I, I like to see that that's that's kind of in the middle of this team's schedule. Um, other than that, you know, not not really a lot here. You know, now yeah. we got to go throw the ball up and play. <laughs> I guess just looking at the month of January, looking at it right now as this like little PDF that I've downloaded, they've got two little uh, stretches of four straight games on the road: Milwaukee, Indiana, Toronto, Toronto and then Houston, Atlanta, Utah, Phoenix. So looking at the uh, months there, January does seem like a difficult month just because it's road heavy, I guess, more so than anything. So maybe that kind of uh, goes against my other point about it being easier before the trade deadline. Maybe that month right there kind of does them in. So Brian, thoughts on the schedule? Do you like to overanalyze this? Should we go? Should we go game by game and just say win, loss, win, loss, win? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I think I think the listeners would love uh, 82, uh, 82, get eighty two predictions. We can even get you know delve into preseason if we want to. But yeah, no, I think that stretch. I mean, you guys, Richie and, and Spencer, you both just touched on it. Like the West Coast trip, like trip taking place in late January, and that's the trip that for just. Even going back to when Steve Clifford was the coach of the Hornets was like always uh, a house of horrors for the team. So going from that and then when the calendar flips to 2023, I mean, New Year's Eve, you're playing your home to Brooklyn. Who knows what the Nets look like at that point? But then the Lakers, Memphis at Milwaukee, Pacers, I mean, they could be tanking by that point. Back to back against Toronto, yeah. uh, in Toronto, then back to back against Boston, <laughs> like like that's a tough. I mean, I just that there's like a three to four week stretch from when they leave for that West Coast trip, then even when they come back, you know, two of those home games are going to be against Boston, two games in the span of three days. You've got the then two on the road before that against Toronto. Pretty tough. Like that's a pretty pretty tough part of the schedule. I do think. 
the NBA getting more of those sort of like consecutive, uh, you know, game versus the same opponent is sort of interesting. Charlotte has those with, like I said, Toronto, Boston, but before that with Miami, um, both games on the road in uh, early November. So that'll be early to mid-November. That'll be tough. Home and home versus Cleveland in the middle of March, like right around March Madness. That's not going to be, you know, assuming the Cavs are healthier at this at, at this point of the season than they were a year ago. That's going to be really tough. Road, home with Dallas, and then home, home with Toronto again. So those are tough teams to be sort of like thrown into the blender with uh, with a scheduling tactic that we've seen before, but perhaps not, maybe not quite with this much uh, regularity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a little interesting, I think. But yeah, no, I don't. I think there are certainly some strengths to the Hornet schedule, like getting to cut down on the the amount of back to backs. I'm not sure how many games they have the they'll have the rest advantage. I know there's one site that always crunches the number on those, but I haven't haven't looked into that yet. So yeah, I just think this one stretch, and luckily I guess it's ahead of the trade deadline. But the West Coast trip into this, like you know, the first two weeks of January is just like a really fascinating part of the schedule for me. But I think it's interesting that they still have a couple of national televised games. I really do think that speaks to the power of Lamelo, like the interest in Lamelo Ball, because I don't think there's a. I mean, we're obviously like. You know, we cover this team. We follow this team. The people who listen to this podcast care a great deal about this team. But I'm not sure how much, like, whatever sort of, like, national appeal it felt like they were sort of having as, like, a team on, the on like, an upward trend. The trend line's looking good the last two seasons. I feel like that has probably dissipated some this offseason. Like, they're not a team that's going to be, like, in discussions to, like, you know, make the playoffs in the East, I don't think. I mean, yeah. I, I guess we'll see. But I just think it speaks to Lamelo um, and how he is a an incredibly good young basketball player who I think might be celebrating a birthday right around today or tomorrow or something like that. Uh, either way, uh, but also just sort of like the appeal he has um, and uh, as like a growing young talent that's had cameras on and gyms he's played basketball in for a, a, a long, long time, and that'll obviously continue this season with a couple nationally televised games. Yeah, I looked that up the other day, Brian, about the rest advantage, disadvantage, or just having the same amount of rest. Uh, Hornets do not, or they're kind of like in the bottom tier when it comes to rest advantage. Uh, They're more often going to be either even with the team or at a disadvantage. Other thing, too, like, you know, I'm not too bummed. Like, I feel like people get so upset that the Hornets are the only team that have not made it to the... uh, a game on on Christmas not that they deserved it this year by any means but like my my viewing on that day just is so sporadic cuz I'm going from house to house and just I don't have time to sit down and watch Christmas basketball that's just me I I actually kind of like that around Christmas like college basketball shuts down for like a week and the Hornets usually don't have a game on Christmas so for me it's yeah. like all right like I get I get to just like sit on the couch and like casually watch the games you know I'm not having to like all right I'm going to have to rewatch this later take notes or something like that so yeah i'm with you richie yeah christmas games i mean i understand why the league prioritizes it i mean but for me it's just on in the background like i'm not i'm not locked in i'm like chasing kids and yeah (laughs) trying to have having conversations with family so yeah i i don't have time to watch games on christmas not at this point in time in my life (laughs) no if if you have kids you have multiple houses to go to it's uh it's almost impossible it's just back background i actually watch probably thanksgiving football more just because you're just kind of like passed out on the couch just can't move type of thing exactly 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so here's what we're going to do is we are going to pretend that there is going to be an expansion team that is coming. Uh, There have been rumors uh, in the NBA about expanding to places like Seattle or Vegas. I'm assuming if they did expand, they'd probably have to do it by two to make it an even 32-team league. Uh, so we're going to have a fun activity here where we get to protect eight players on the roster in this hypothetical this hypothetical team that they just could not draft. I think when they do this, though, it happens pre-free agency, but we're going to go ahead and just kind of work with this anyway. So it's obviously post-free agency, post-draft. Uh, I'm not sure how two ways work in expansion drafts. But we're going to include Bryce McGowan's and the crop of players that we can decide uh, if we want to protect or not. So the way that we're going to do this is we're going to first talk about the players that we really are like surefire and gave little to no thought to um, in terms of making this an easy decision to protect these players so that a you know an opponent couldn't pick them uh, in the expansion draft. And obviously, there's one that I think everyone can assume who the Hornets would protect. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way with LaMelo Ball. This is like the easiest decision uh, because he is the cornerstone of this franchise and replacing him would be something very difficult to do. He's got the chance to be a perennial all-star. He's got the chance to improve, obviously, on his weaknesses as he progresses through his NBA career. Like I can see that rim finishing, that on-ball defense. There's no reason why that wouldn't improve as he progresses through his career, so there's no reason why he wouldn't uh, be protected there. So even though he's the easiest decision, there's a couple other players that I have here that I really just kind of immediately thought to in terms for the Hornets to protect. Uh, That would also be P.J. Washington and Mark Williams. Washington is younger. You have some control over him. You can extend him, or you can just, you know, obviously next season he's a restricted free agent, so uh, match any offer that comes his way. I know he hasn't truly popped yet. I know Brian, probably compared to you, Spencer, uh, is a little bit higher on him, but his versatility on both ends, 
uh, his potential to grow makes this an easier decision for me. And then Mark Williams, obviously, he just was your first round pick that you hope turns into a two-way impact center. And he's obviously shown that clear impact on defense, protecting shots, altering shots. Uh, He just needs time to develop his offensive game. So uh, he's a top 15 pick you would definitely not leave that guy unprotected. So those three players, Ball, Washington, and Williams, are the three players that I kind of gave little thought to, and I went ahead and just protected them right away. So, Spencer, I will go to you first. Yeah, well, so, you know, as you laid out, we're kind of tiering these, so no thought. I I had those same three players, uh, but I also had one additional player, and I'll kind of – let me back up. I guess I'll – talk about how I thought about this. I mean, you, you kind of touched on it with Mark Williams. Like you have control over him um, in terms of young players on your roster more than any other player on the roster. So Mark Williams belongs there ahead of say a James Booknight. Cause maybe some people are like, well, why isn't Booknight in this tier? Right. Um, because you have more control and Williams is younger. I have Terry Rozier in this tier too, for the same kind of reason, you know, he's, he's under contract long-term. Um, and not that he would be maybe one of the first three actual players on this roster that I would prioritize, but I prioritize keeping the asset, right? Um, you know, I mean, you've got him under contract for, uh, you know, for three or four more years, and I think at a pretty good number, if he can remain one of the best catch-and-shoot, uh, you know, bombers in the league, I'll whisk him off the dribble chop. So I just think the Hornets can recoup some kind of value uh, from Rozier at some point. So I have him in this tier as well. You know, I think you said it well, and we already touched on Mark Williams. You know, we, we got to see him in summer league, but like, what have we really seen so far when he's playing with <laughs> LaMelo ball, we're going to see the true Mark Williams, what he can bring, you know, offensively. I think defensively, we know he's going to give this team a boost should at least immediately as a, as a rim protector. Um, LaMelo ball. I mean, what do we, yeah. What do you really need to say there? That's an obvious one. Uh, and then PJ Washington, you know, that's, that's probably, that's probably the conversation we, we should have, you know, the most meat on the bone and, and try to pick at a little bit because, you know, he's not under contract long-term in Charlotte. Uh, it's coming up on a decision year for the Hornets. He's been involved in a lot of trade conversations and rumors uh, with the Hornets. And I, I'm, I think it's safe to say he has been discussed in, in real trades um, by Mitch Kupchak. So, but I think we all agree here, and I certainly know Brian agrees, that P.J. Washington should probably be a cornerstone of this roster moving forward. Um, the question of is he does he have all-star potential I think has probably been answered. I'm not sure P.J. Washington has all-star potential, but just what he gives this team and how good of a fit he is with a mellow ball as just a spacing five, uh, small ball five, um, you know, how – how versatile he's shown he can be on defense. Um, I, I just think it's time for Charlotte to probably probably commit to Washington, right? Like we might know his ceiling is a little lower than we thought maybe it could be a year and a half, two years ago, but he's still a really, really solid NBA player. I think the Hornets can re-sign him on a, on a pretty decent contract. And again, j- just like Rozier, Richie, I was making the case of why he belongs in this tier. Like, Resign Washington. I think the price is going to be decent. Retain the asset and and hopefully get something. I mean, if it doesn't work out long term, you can certainly trade him at some point and get something back. So, so he's but he's the most interesting, I guess, of these three or four players we've discussed in in this first tier. 
Yeah, so you got Ball, Washington, Williams like me, but you've also added Rozier. Uh, so the reason I didn't put Rozier in this tier, it could be an opportunity for the Hornets to get off his contract. Obviously, you would not be getting anything back, but if they think they wanted to free up long-term space, he's the one player that is the longest when it comes to the the Hornets books here. So that would be the one opportunity if you want to kind of take that strategy of, hey, let me entice an expansion team to take this contract off of our hands. We would not get anything in return, but um, they would also have to eat that money as they assumed his contract. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a fair way to look at it too. I just see like Rozier, I mean, he's not on like some, you know, $35 million a year max contract, right? And he's he provides such a valuable utility to a contender like the Lakers or, I mean, the Clippers. Think of some of these West Coast teams that just need a little boost in shooting, uh, you know, over the next two to three years and feel like they're one move away from making the championship. Like, I think the Hornets, I think they can recoup some 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 pretty good return um, by flipping him. And I, I, I just I still don't think this contract is, is crazy. Uh, and that he's that overpaid. So I just assume retain that asset. And look, at some point, I mean, the Hornets, like, they're still trying to win too. Like, they need, they still need some veterans on this team. Hayward's coming off the book sooner than people realize. So, so I'm putting Rosie here just to, again, to retain the asset. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on to this, like, next tier, a crop of players that you kind of gave a little bit of thought to when protecting them, but it wasn't as an easy decision as the players that we just mentioned. And I actually um, only have one player in this tier where I was like giving some thought to, uh, but it was it was somewhat of an easy decision, and that was Cody Martin for me. Uh, he just signed a pretty reasonable deal, I think four years, thirty two million dollars. I think if you believe in his value, like the front office does, it makes sense to protect him. It's not a surefire decision like Lamelo or PJ or Mark Williams or Rozier in your case, uh, but if you needed to get off this guy, he'd be a very movable piece down the road if that was the case. Uh, but he's very much a plug and play player that all teams could use. You know, we love his defensive presence, his impact, his deflections, his steals, his hustle, and his energy, and all that type of stuff that you get from this guy on a nightly basis offensively he's still developing yes he's just kind of had one year of shooting from behind the arc at a pretty efficient clip but maybe there's something more you can tap into and then obviously he's got that desire and and want to to get to the rim as well so the reason i only have one player in this tier is because my next group of players i really debated over and i was like flip-flopping back and forth so really the only player that i have kind of like in this next tier where i gave a little bit of thought to but not too much was cody martin so uh spencer i'm going to pass it to you uh, in terms of which players you would protect next? Well, this is fun because I, I think we we thought about this exercise differently. I, we're going to have similar players, but so I have three players in this tier, and then I actually only have one in the last tier. Um, so I like that we're kind of differing on on how we approach this. So Cody Martin, that that is you know where I'm starting. Uh, just where, the one player you had in this tier, you know, the Hornets just signed him to a new contract, so you know they're moving forward with him. Great two-way utility wing, you know, in this league. He's proven that he's a real NBA player, great defensive player, you know, probably the best on-ball defensive player on this roster, just in terms of being able to keep the ball in front, stay in front of his man, be physical, not get overpowered uh, around the basket. So that's probably where you start with Cody Martin. Um, And then, you know, can he continue to improve as a shooter? Uh, That is 
yeah, I mean, you know, we use, well, shooting is going to be the swing skill for this guy, this guy, you know, it, it feels like you say that all the time with wings in the NBA, but truly like if Cody Martin can become a better catch and shoot player, uh, he's, he's a really, he's a really, really useful um, NBA wing because of his defensive chops. And then, you know, we've seen he's, he's, you know, he played point guard in college. He's, he's used, he's grown up playing with the ball in his hand. So if you need him to make a play as like a third option, on the floor with the ball in his hands, he's capable of doing it. So, you know, Cody Martin definitely belongs in this in this tier. The second guy I have is James Booknight. Um, man, he he is a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, he's a debated player on this roster. I think yeah. I think a lot of fans are, are very confused about what his role is moving forward. Um, maybe confused as. You know, to his personality type, what kind of guy he is, how bad does he want it? You know, he hasn't had this, the smoothest uh, of rides since he's been in the NBA, but uh, he belongs here. You know, the Hornets drafted him in the lottery um, a little over a year ago. He's a key piece for this roster moving forward. I still think they have to prioritize him uh, and help him mature on and off the court. You know, these young players on this roster, there's a lot of them, and not not many of them seem to be – developing and breaking in the right direction like we would hope but you know it we we cannot book knight's got to play this year he's got to play we cannot lose hope we cannot push him down uh near the priority list and that's going to be something i'm watching closely with steve clifford you know we, we know his his past with young players not trusting them the malik monk experience um we we can't have that same movie uh happen with james book knight and and i really hope that that communication is very clear between front office and coach um, because I think this big year for book night and the Hornets. The other guy I have here, which I had to think about pretty tough, but I, you traded a, a future first round pick to draft him. So Kai Jones, I think just has okay. to be here. Like, you know, I I'm losing hope. Uh, <laughs> he, he still seems like a, a, a baby fawn uh, running around out there. Uh, not really knowing, much of, of what he's doing yet doesn't have a great feel for the game uh, tries to play kind of out of his scope I would say often but his fit you know hit this guy's athleticism is just over the moon and yeah. and if he can just rein in the idea of doing do less do less like focus on your strengths your strength is rim running your strength is being a, a weak side rim protector um, just try to rein it in. I mean, cast it in a little bit. He tries to do too much so often. So it's a big year for Kai. And again, Richie, the, the main reason I put him here is the Hornets traded back up into the first round of the draft, you know, two drafts ago to go get this guy. So just thinking about what they gave up, he's got to be prioritized, right? So he's, to me, he's got to belong in this. He's got to belong in this second tier. So to, to kind of recap Cody Martin, like you had, and then I'm going with the the two, uh, second year guys that we got to see something from this year because of where they were drafted uh, by Charlotte. And the last thing I would add, Richie, is like, you know, Book Knight, they, they drafted in the lottery, right? <clears throat> so he obviously is a priority, but it's been a really long time since Charlotte traded up, traded up and back up into the first round, like got that aggressive with their drafting strategy to build this roster moving forward. So just considering that, I just remember that night just being like, wow, this isn't a, this is an aggressive draft for sure. I like it. They said, we really like this guy, Kai Jones. We like his potential. We know he's going to be a project, but 
you know, we're going to draft him here, even though the consensus thinks really he's probably, you know, a 30 to 40 ranked guy. Like, this is our guy. We're going to go get him. We don't care where, you know, what the the masses, you know, think about him or or where they think he belongs. So just in terms of thinking about the the aggressive strategy, like he's he's still got to be a real big priority, right? Yeah, and he's he's on my next tier. So this last tier that we're going to get to are the players, at least in my view, that could have gone unprotected. But uh, at the last second, I decided to go ahead and protect them. So I will start with Kai Jones. Uh, he is on this tier for me in terms of protecting him from this expansion draft. Uh, like you mentioned, he's one of those guys that they, you, they got aggressive with him. Uh, he was a project. He didn't really start playing basketball until like five, six years ago. So there's a lot to tap into, a lot of potential there. I know that's a, a key buzzword that people like to throw around a lot, but he really just doesn't have a lot of experience and hopefully getting him you know, into an NBA team, an organization, they can kind of draw out some of his strengths. High flyer, pick and roll big, lob threat. There's not many lob threats on this team. Mark Williams was just drafted too, but he's kind of like a different type of lob threat to me. Like Kai Jones is just so bouncy, so bouncy. Um, his shot has not really developed, and that's something that maybe um, <laughs> may never develop with this guy. But the, the versatility that you get at this guy on both ends of the court is something that made me ultimately protect this guy. And to your point, I, I wasn't even thinking about this, the fact that they traded up for him. But now that I think about it, like that makes sense. Why would you let this guy go unprotected if you spent all this draft capital to trade up to get Kai Jones? So Kai Jones would be another player that I would protect. Uh, James Booknight is in this tier for me. I, I think the injury over the summer probably didn't make this decision easy for me. I think I probably would have had him in one tier above this, but because I didn't get to see him play in summer league, because his rookie season was a lot of up and down. He played a lot in Greensboro when he got here in Charlotte. There was really only a couple games that he he flashed in. There are some issues with him over dribbling and you know not making quick decisions in an offense that is predicated on quick decisions. I'm still interested to see what his role is with this team and how they best utilize him. Uh, Brian always talks about using him as an off-ball player, uh, but what we saw mostly from him in his days in Greensboro and Charlotte was more of an on-ball player, creator type. So James Booknight, Kai Jones would fall in this tier. Now, these last two players I really, really debated, and I was going back and forth on who to protect, who to unprotect. I'm actually going to go Bryce McGowan's. I know that kind of seems weird to protect a second round player, uh, but they did trade up for him too as well. So when you think about that in terms of having faith in this guy and having a higher rank on him than uh, where he actually went in the draft, he showed some flashes in summer league with the on-ball creation and getting his own shot and getting to the rim and even some small flashes of passing the ball too. Like he was not necessarily a ball stopper uh, when it comes to his overall style of his game. I actually thought he got worse as summer league progressed, but you know, it's, it's summer league. So, and then finally, so this is where I debated between Gordon Hayward Terry Rozier and Jalen McDaniels um, in terms of who was my last player to protect. I, I understand the Terry Rozier having control over him for, for many years, but I, my strategy was, Hey, let's see if any team will take him and, and, and if they don't, we still have, we still have them type of thing. But I actually went Gordon Hayward. I think the reason I chose Gordon Hayward over Jalen McDaniels and Rozier or more, more specifically, McDaniels, just because McDaniels' contract uh, is going to be up after this year, and you just never know what his future is going to be on this team with 
the bevy of wings and forwards that the Hornets do have. And Gordon Hayward, while injury prone, you at least have control over him for next year. And uh, maybe they can find a plan where they can manage his injuries and not play him as often load management style with Gordon, because I still think he's a productive player when he is healthy. I know that's a big if. So let me go ahead and get my eight players from the top here uh, in terms of who I protected. We've got LaMelo Ball, PJ Washington, Mark Williams in my first tier. I had Cody Martin in my second tier. And then my last four players that I protected were Kai Jones, Bryce McGowan's book Knight, and Hayward. And Overall strategy, Spencer and Brian, was just to kind of lean heavily on the young pieces, especially those that you had team control over, and kind of leave out those aging veterans um, or maybe ones that have undesirable contracts unprotected. So, uh, Spencer, I'm going to pass it to you over this last tier, the ones that you debated over a little bit. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, yeah, interesting that Rozier did not make your aid at all. I, I Again, I think we thought about this much differently, which, which is good. I mean, that, that makes for interesting uh banter right i just you know i richie like you said earlier <clears throat> and maybe the reason you know you didn't really include rosier you know try to try to get an expansion team to come in and take that books take that money off your okay. hands i would i would personally rather a team take gordon hayward's money even though it's shorter time off my hands again so that i could retain that that rosier asset and try to flip him at some point for something you know I understand where you're coming from too. So my last tier, again, it, it was one player since I had three players in that middle tier. So I dated, debated between a few guys, um, Jalen McDaniels, JT Thor are really the two that it came down to. I thought about Bryce McGowan's, but not, not real seriously. I mean, he's super young. I wasn't real impressed with what I saw in summer league. Um, but I'm very interested to, to watch him in Greensboro this year and, and, and check out his development. I think he's got a ways to go. So those are kind of the three guys that I, I debated about for, for this last spot. But again, it was really came down to McDaniels and Thor. Ultimately, I went with Thor here. He's got a long ways to go to. Wasn't impressed. Was was actually disappointed in his uh, summer league yeah. uh, as a second year player uh, performance, to be honest. But you know, he's younger. Uh, the Hornets, you know, they've got contract flexibility on him. Um, you know, he was a second round pick, so it gets a little sticky on how you would extend Thor, but he's not going to cost you a lot. Like you, you have him, you have his rights. Um, you know, so really you can pay this guy what you want to pay him. You, whatever you need to do to keep him, the Hornets can do. He's the younger of McDaniels and, and himself. I, you know, Jalen McDaniels is very clearly the better player at this point, but I, I, you know, Jalen McDaniels is just, he's so, he's so thin. Um, and, He's he's improved as a shooter. I, I think that he has improved as a defensive player, but ultimately, I kind of think that he's just got. He, I think we can kind of see where his ceiling is as a player, and I think he's an NBA rotational wing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I still think that JT Thor has a chance to have some on-ball chops, to become a better shooter, to be a better kind of disrupting defender than I think Jalen McDaniels can be. And again, he's younger. So I, I just think you you need to double down on things like that. Um, so I gave this last spot to Thor. Very good. All right. So Brian is back. He took a, uh, a phone call here. So we've, we've got him back in the fold here. So Brian, what we were doing was tiering the players in terms of how you would protect them. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it to you for your first tier. Who are the players that really you just didn't think too hard about and you went ahead and protected them 
Yeah, a lot of there's gonna be a fair amount of overlap here. And, and apologies for the disruption. I had a phone call I had to take there, but uh, you know, I think you could almost argue that like uh, Lamelo is almost in a tier of his own at yeah. this point. But I went Lamelo, uh, PJ Washington, especially just given how important he is he is to this current roster, how well he pairs with Lamelo going forward. Um, assuming he is part of sort of like the long term or, or at least intermediate term uh, projections for this team and then mark williams um you know the guys that i picked it's pretty heavily slanted towards uh, similar to you guys like youth you know like i I, a lot of the guys i i you know project picked or predicted are all guys that were drafted you know 2019 through 2022 pretty much so um yeah i can move on to the second tier if you want me to yeah so this is the tier that you kind of gave a little bit of thought to but was still Kind of an easy decision. Yeah. So a little bit of thought too. Um, ended up putting uh, Cody Martin. And uh, I think I would put, um, I think I would actually go ahead and put Book Knight into, into this section as well. Just only one year removed from being a lottery pick. Um, you know, I don't think, I, you know, I wasn't crazy about Book Knight as a prospect coming out of UConn, though I did like him a, uh, a, a decent amount. There were some flashes with the Hornets last season, albeit, you know, he only played two, three hundred minutes for the team. And uh, I pulled this stat the other day, but Book Knight had it was like almost 18 percent of his two point attempts uh, were blocked this past season, which was easily the highest on the roster um, and something that's going to just drastically need to improve. So uh, I would put Book Knight there as well, though, just because I think Charlotte looking at this roster like they just they need secondary playmaking they need anyone that can you know kind of crack a defense off a dribble uh outside of Lamelo, and so um i'll go book night there as well and then the last uh tier we had was the players that could have gone unprotected and you kind of had to debate over a little bit more so who are those for you yeah thor like jt thor starts that off like i he did not outside of the last game of summer league last game in vegas jt thor actually played quite well Um, I want to lean more heavily on how I evaluated him as a prospect in which I liked him a good bit coming out of Auburn. Uh, Richie, I remember you and I did like a video breakdown pod, um, on him probably last summer and he had some really nice flashes as like, you know, an off ball wing fourth or fifth option for Charlotte, uh, guarding, you know, some tough perimeter assignments, um last season being an offensive rebounder being a cutter so i still like thor's upside as a guy that can slip and pop and pick and pop and can attack closeouts and has lots of length and again he's still incredibly young for a guy that's heading into his second year but no doubt like the the run out in vegas was not super encouraging um i also will protect uh kai jones in this spot Richie, I think you and Lee and I did a, a, a pod a few weeks ago on on Kai, sort of talking about the performance out in Vegas, um, or maybe Spencer. Actually, I think you were here for that one. But re- regardless, like we all know the holes with Kai's defense, um, the sort of like the, his tweener status. This is a guy that can't really like fully protect the rim. Um, is going to have trouble anchoring a defense, but is also going to have trouble being a guy that's you know. Uh, either being the low man um, helper or chasing guys around the perimeter, just guarding in space. The third guy I have here, like it's tough. I kind of wanted to put Jalen McDaniels because I think he has the chance to be 
a rotation player. Um, I think he deserves more playing time this season. And I guess the guy, someone like Kelly Oubre might be in the way, uh, might be an impediment a little bit for that. But um, I would like to see more Jalen McDaniels playing time. But I'm going to end up protecting uh, Bryce McGowan's um, and just sort of like lean in a little bit on the shot creation aspect. Um, But that's tough. That was like a coin toss for me between McGowan's and McDaniels because while I think you would like to see Jalen maybe bulk up a little bit and that way he could you know, maybe add a little bit more sort of like on ball versatility as a defender. Um, he does a lot of stuff defensively. And, uh, and again, I think is like a guy that's playable in a postseason setting. So I don't know if I talked about this longer to myself, I might flip it. So let's just, let me just shut up now and, and say uh, Bryce McGowan's, but McDaniels was the toughest, toughest uh, call for me here. I think it's interesting because both of you guys approached it in terms of like the Rosier Hayward didn't didn't make Brian's cut. Brian, I, I actually had Rosier in my first tier, and the reasoning was, you know, not the youth, not investing long term, but but he is under contract long term in Charlotte, and I do think like I would probably rather take the chance on whatever future asset I'm getting by trading Rosier mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. There. over Bryce McGowan's right does that make sense like yeah, um absolutely. or even over a JT Thor like I I, yeah. I think that there's it's not out of the question that Charlotte could get a future first round pick for him and like I was explaining to Richie I just think Rozier like the closer he gets two years out to the end of that contract if he can remain one of the best catch and shoot bombers you know in the league like yeah. he he gives a contender such a valuable utility that I, I really do think the Hornets can still trade him for something that to me, like I would, I would rather bet on that asset they're getting back again over a McGowan's or maybe even a Thor. So that's kind of why I prioritized yeah. him higher up. I, I, I think that's a great, I mean, I, yeah. I see the logic there completely. I wish there was like a little less runway, you know what I mean? But it does seem like where he, Terry is now barring some, you know, bad injury. It does feel like he's sort of like has found, I don't know, like kind of like a baseline level of production on offense, which is an impressive floor for him. Like, cause he is truly one of the best off ball movement shooters in the NBA. And I, I don't want to like, I, I think sometimes when it comes to evaluating Rozier, I struggle a little bit because of the defensive concerns, because of some of the on ball limitations now because of the contract structure but like make no mistake like this is a guy that you can run offense through the hornets ha- did often for three seasons with uh with uh rosier and james borrego um a guy that you can design offense for with his ability to run around screens and be incredibly versatile in, in yeah, how he can catch and shoot and get those looks off so i think yeah i, I agree i think he is a guy that could have um, at some point during this contract, still have you know positive, if not relatively decent value uh, as a as a trade asset. Not to get like too deep in the weeds in Rozier, but I <clears throat> I've just thought recently, you know, as these as these rosters have turned over in the summer, like a team like the Clippers, like yeah, like if they if they come out of the gates and they're let's say ranked twenty second to twenty fifth in the league, like three point shooting wise with all those mm-hmm. defensive wings they have, like Rozier is the perfect shot in the arm to improve their shooting, number one. But all those wings they have defensively, like his defensive limitations are now completely covered up. So, yeah. you know, in the context of 
just how he could fit and what he could provide a team. Anyways, while we're on the conversation, I kind of <laughs> fallen in love with Rozier in a Clippers uniform, and I'm wondering what they would pay to get him if they struggle to shoot, you know, that, early in this season or the next season, right? You kicked around that the Rozier to the Clips hypothetical for even before the extension. Like, do you remember the like Rozier Canard? hypothetical trade you had at yeah, some point yeah, that was pretty sure. that was like a pretty that I, I i don't remember what all the parameters of it were but i actually liked that deal quite a bit i mean i think it was like you know the principles were rosier and canard with like the you know the hornets getting a a pick back i'm not sure how the num yeah. like how the numbers break down on that assuming you know obviously terry's uh doing line for a raise uh this season though all right, let's look at our unprotected players real quick before we wrap. So Plumley was unanimous. We unprotected Richards. We unprotected Ubre. McDaniels was also unprotected by us. And then okay. Rozier and Hayward, um, two of us unprotected them. So let me ask you this question real quick. If there was an expansion team in Seattle, which which of these players that we left unprotected do you think that they would probably go after first? Uh, I personally think in my opinion, it would probably be Rozier or McDaniels. Those are the two that I'm kind of eyeing right now. So to Spencer's point, maybe it would be better to protect Rozier because at that point you'd be getting him, you know, you'd be letting him leave for nothing. But again, my thought process was because he is on the books for so long, it would be an easy way for them to get off of him. So I think those two players would probably be the ones that teams and expansion team might look at first. Ubre and Plumlee, they're, you know, they have a one year deal, so there's not much control over them. And then Richards is Richards and then Hayward's got the injury concern. So I, I think that's probably where teams would lean. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I just think like Rozier is scoring and shooting. And I think, you know, uh, context is certainly important with those numbers, but it's tough. To, you know, it's undeniable. The guy has scored a lot of points the last three seasons with the Hornets. He's made a lot of three pointers. He can be kind of a tough shot maker. And so it seems like an easy guy that you could put on an expansion roster and he would just give you usage and scoring and three point shooting. McDaniels, the hometown kid, right from Seattle, I believe. So, and and again, just because he is a rotation player, likely in the NBA, he's a wing with size and some defensive impact. He can he can play on anybody's roster. So yeah, my guess would be those two would be highlighted. I, I suppose you could make a case for Hayward as well, just because he is scoring and playmaking and a guy that can run pick and roll, and you can theoretically run an offense through. Uh, Rosier, you can kind of squint and do that with as well. It's just a little bit different in terms of like what those play designs look like for off ball movement shots versus Hayward. who's a guy who you can use as a screener to create mismatches. You can have him run the pick and roll. He can isolate in the mid range. You can post up all that sorts of stuff. So those, I think those three are sort of the, the, the no brainers for that. But I would, I would probably tear at Rozier McDaniels and Hayward. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys are all over it. I, I think Rozier and Hayward, too. Like, for an expansion team, you need somebody you can put on promotional materials, <laughs> right? And, like, Hayward and Rozier are both guys that can score between 15 and, and 20 points per game, you know, in different ways, of course. But, yeah, they're just marketable players for a team that's going to stink, and you still got to sell a few jerseys and do that kind of stuff. So, uh, McDaniels, yeah, that's a good point. You know, he would be a hometown guy. You know, in in Seattle. So, but I I would say like tier wise of these unprotected players, I would I would put Hayward and Rozier in the first, and then McDaniel's kind of a, as a 
let's go ahead and draft this guy and get him plugged into our system and see if we can, you know, get the most out of him and, and keep him as a long-term guy. Whereas Hayward and Rozier would just be like, we need a veteran. We need somebody to put on a poster, right? They can score mm-hmm. for us. Um, so let, let's start there. We know we're going to stink anyways. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably how I would tier those two. All right. As we wrap, make sure you guys have given us a five-star rating and review on Apple podcast and take a look into Buzzbeat plus for ad free episodes and early access to episodes. I'll put a link in the episode notes. Oh, also Brian, uh, let the listeners know, uh, what you and Lee got going on for an upcoming episode, uh, before we sign off here. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing, uh, more draft pods and we've got another one coming up where we're continuing to focus on returning college prospects. We haven't gotten into one and done guys yet for the upcoming season, but returning guys. So this next pod is we're going to talk about Arthur Kaluma out of, of Creighton. We're going to talk about Andre Jackson, from from UConn, Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine, who's been kind of quickly rising up uh, draft boards uh, a little bit here and there. And then there's one more person we're doing. There's one more person. Uh, I believe. Oh, Matthew Morell from Ole Miss is another person that's going to be a part of this. But we're going to do more of those sort of like breakdown prospect pods. And then uh, not the next episode, but the one after that, we're going to do sort of like a singular deep dive on Scoot Henderson getting ready to start his second league, second season in the G League. Uh, I've seen probably about five or six full scoot games now. I am incredibly impressed. Uh, certainly a guy that I think is going to land at one or two, uh, most likely two on, on draft boards. Uh, it seems like Victor Wembenyama has the number one spot locked up for 2023, but scoot is an incredible lead guard prospect, and I'm looking forward to sort of doing like a deep dive um, on a prospect who, look, if, if things go really south for the Hornets this season, Scoot is a guy that I don't think the the fit is like perfectly clean with Lamelo, but Scoot, uh, Scoot did show he could play off the ball this season, playing with you know Jaden Hardy and Dyson Daniels in the G League, and uh, is a guy that would certainly uh, help the the rim pressure concerns uh, for the Hornets. Um, so, anyways, those are the two draft pods we have coming up. It's going to be college prospects followed by a, a Scoot Henderson deep dive. Very good. Well, stay tuned for that. Uh, for Spencer, for Brian, I'm Richie. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we will talk to you guys later.